So we are going to, um, in this season of Advent, kind of play off of, continue our series here with Overwhelmed But Overcoming. But what we're going to do is in a season of Advent in which it's waiting and people were waiting on the coming of Jesus for hundreds of years, they were waiting and they were praying, oh God, when, how long, send your Messiah, right? We're going to focus on prayer, that is, on all the ways we're overwhelmed in life that we've talked about for the past couple of months. We're going to spend this month of Advent uh, talking about how we can overcome that with prayer. I was uh, recently uh, kind of reviewing a couple different things. I was reading a, a Paul Tripp devotional from New Morning Mercies, which new visitors get. They're available for you in the lobby out there. And then also a book by Paul Miller, A Praying Life. And something struck me about the way they, they talked about things, and, and much of what they say influences what I'm saying today, uh, along with the scripture that we're going to read in a second. Uh, but we use the word need a lot, right? I need... I need, I need, I need. Um, and that word need, we use to include all the things that we seem to desire or want, right? Um, and the problem, of course, that if, if need, if the definition of need really means something like, quote, what's essential for life, end quote, <laughs> then most of the things that we load into our category of needs are not needs. There, there are desires and there are wants. And yet you and I convince ourselves that these are things that we must have in order to be happy, and without them we cannot live. That in itself is not a new concept, right? This idea of needs and wants. But what I want to do is talk to you about how I think that probably affects the way you pray. I pray for what I want. It's like Christmas. I make a list to Santa Claus. Only it's not to Santa Claus, right? And I, and I pray. I want this. I want this. God, please do this, right? And I'm praying a list of things. Some of those things are good. Some of them maybe not, I, you know. But I pray through things that I want. It's about me so often, it seems. It's about my desires, my self-interest. And even when it's not about my self-interest and when it's about others, sometimes even then it's about my self-interest. God, help him or her to be more loving. Translation. So that they're less grumpy with me and I'm happier in life. Right? Sometimes even when we pray for others, it can be about how it affects us. Then, then what happens is we start looking around and, it, and if other people's needs, their quote needs, seem to get fulfilled and mine don't, I start to doubt God's goodness. And I convince myself that I need this thing and then God doesn't deliver it to me. Then I start to say, God, what good are you? Notice the language. What good are you if you're not giving me what I want? I'm calling into question God's goodness. And here's the great danger. The great danger is this. When you start doing that, you will not run when you were in trouble, to someone who you doubt to be good. And you will, in fact, stop praying. Stop talking to God. Stop turning to God. You get overwhelmed, worn out, too discouraged, and you fall into one of these two traps, either asking selfishly or asking not at all because we've given up. And what the disciples do here, I don't know how much they feel that tension, but what they do here is they feel some tension because they say, Jesus, 
will you teach us how to pray? I think there's something that we need to learn from that. So will you follow along with me as we read Luke chapter 11, verses 1 to 13. Here's the word of God. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread, forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us, and lead us not into temptation. Then Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, Yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and the one who knocks the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Father in heaven, we do pray that you would give your spirit to us, both in a way for salvation that many of us already possess, but also for that light, for that guidance that we need to listen to, to work in us, to conform us more to the image of Jesus. Would you help us to know better how to pray? We ask in Jesus' name, amen. So overcoming life's obstacles, to be overcoming those things with prayer, requires us to learn to both surrender completely and ask boldly. Those are the two things I'm going to talk to you about today, surrendering completely and asking boldly. You can put that first point on the screen. The first point is this. We need to be surrendering completely because that is the remedy to our tendency of asking selfishly. And then the sub-point under that is, you can see there, surrendering completely reorients your worship. Notice in verse 2, would you put that on the screen for me, verse 2? Notice when Jesus teaches them to pray and he says, okay, this is what you should say. What does he say? Father, hallowed be your name, your, I mean, your kingdom come. It, right? When you, thinking of praying, like, okay, God, this is, this is what I need. And Jesus says, you want to know how to pray? It doesn't start with what you need. It is what you need, it's just not what you think you need. It starts with reorienting your worship to say, God, this is about you. It's about your glory, your holy name, and your kingdom. And that's fundamental to where prayer has to start because it reorients your worship of God. To say God's name is hallowed or holy is to show a humble respect and honor, an adoration of the almighty God. And to say, thy kingdom come, is to say, okay, God, you who are almighty and you who are the king over your kingdom, then I want all the goodness of your kingdom, your goodness, to flow throughout now here on earth. Give us a little taste of that even now. Give us a piece of heaven here on earth of your kingdom coming. Show us righteousness and mercy and shalom. 
And then he goes on in the prayer, right? And you say, okay, well, he does do that, right? So the prayer starts by focusing us that way on God. And then it shifts to orienting us, right, to about us. Like, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, right? But notice the context of that is to say, okay, now help me. Now help me what? Help me in relationship to you, God, to be forgiven, and to not walk into temptation. And help me in relationship to your people then to forgive them and encourage them. Right? It's still about God's fame, his honor. It's still about his kingdom. In other words, that priority of God being first is reasserted even when it comes to our relationship um, with others and with him. To reorient your worship is to, is to know your place, right? God is up here, you're down here. God, you. God, you, Right? God is above you, you're below God, right? You, you're not, you don't have all the power. You don't know everything there is to know. You're not the wisest being that there is. I wasn't even the wisest in my class, right? I mean, I can't even get that far. I, I'm like so far below God. Like, God's up there and we're down there. Here's the problem is when you get that backwards in terms of priority and you start saying all your prayers are about you, what you are functionally doing is demoting God promoting self and then committing idolatry by worshiping a false god. Right? The first commandment is you shall have no other gods before me. But what are you doing when you do that? You're saying, God, you're going to take a demotion and right now it's going to be about me. I'm going to be the God. I want this. I need this. And here's the, the challenge in life is life is a spiritual battle. It's not just what we see going on here. There's all these other things going on around us, these spiritual forces and powers that are at work. And so it is a spiritual fight against two enemies, the indwelling sin of your own habits that have created, right, in life. We all have those. And Satan. Both of those things are against us. And so we have to be aware, self-aware of who we are and and known tendencies that we have that can be harmful, and the way Satan, the evil one, uses that to attack us. And so, God, and so Jesus is saying, you want to know how to pray? Focus first then on me. Focus first on my Father's kingdom. Focus first on those things. Get that right. John Piper talks about this in one of his books, and he says, um, <clears throat> he compares prayer to a wartime walkie-talkie. He says, we have stopped believing that we are in a war. There's no urgency, no watching, no vigilance, no strategic planning. Just easy peace and prosperity. And what did we do with the walkie-talkie, that wartime walkie-talkie to call in support? We tried to rig it up as an intercom in our houses, in our cabins, in our boats, in our cars, not to call on power, uh, firepower for a conflict with a mortal enemy, but to ask for more comforts in the den. Right? We filled it with our wants, and we made it about us. We converted prayer to a tool for us and our ends rather than God's ends. But the second half of this point, point, or the second subpoint, 1B here, is surrendering completely not only reorients your worship, but it refocuses you on what you can change, right? Here's a thing that's true about life. You're always wanting to change other people. That's hard for you to do. What you can change is you. So focus on you. Prayer can help change you. I've found that praying um, sometimes changes my circumstances, but more often it changes me. It changes me, it changes my outlook, it changes my attitude, it changes my behavior and the way I'm going to act toward it. 
When you are self-focused, you are focused on changing others and your prayer simply becomes that tool to accomplish your agenda. Or you become demanding of God. God, this is what you owe me. Do this. I want this done. Instead of praying like this, you should pray differently. Instead of praying, Lord, give me what I want, start praying, Lord, conform me into what you want. That's what Jesus is teaching them in the prayer. It's a humbling prayer. It's a prayer saying, okay, I surrender completely, God. You're the king. It's your kingdom. It's about you, and I'll live in accord with that. And in that way, it's very humbling. But surrendering completely has great benefits. For instance, when you realize your lack of control over other people, it's a remedy to praying selfishly. You don't have to pray selfishly for all of them anymore. You can just pray genuinely and go, okay, God, you're in control. Consider it this way. Like, um, you know, most, maybe not most, that might be too much of a stretch. I don't want to be demeaning. A significant struggle in many marriages um, is when tensions arise, how do you resolve those and what do you do? And, and then that bleeds into your prayer life, right? As I mentioned earlier, we start praying for our spouse to change, to be less critical, to be more caring, to be more rom- romantic, to be more helpful, and on and on the list goes, right? But it's focused on us, on how it impacts us. And so when that focus is on us and you're praying, okay, God, you said pray, and so I'm praying, God. I'm doing my 21-day experiment that I was challenged to do, and I am praying for my spouse to change so that, I, so that they're less critical of me and more helpful and more romantic and whatever it is. But the prayer is still focused on you, right? And you can't change them. And what happens at the end of your 21-day experiment is you're back to fighting because you probably haven't changed either. The solution is not to stop praying and give up, but to change your prayers focusing on what you can control. So if your spouse is often critical, yes, pray for him or her. And pray for you. Pray asking God to help you focus on how you can be helpful, how you can express thankfulness for the person, how you might need to change, how you can be an extension of the gospel to that person showing grace. And you might be thinking, but they don't deserve it. Nobody does. That's the point. That's the way the gospel always works. It always goes to those who don't deserve it. So if, you're, so if, if that's happening, you need to show people the gospel. In fact, I would go so far as to say you won't believe the gospel until you start becoming the gospel. What do I mean by that? We say in our mission statement that um, we are to proclaim and embody the gospel. We can talk about it, but you've got to live it out. When you start living out the gospel you're starting to believe it, like, okay, this is what it, this is what it requires, this is, what it, this is how it changes us. And then that'll lead you to start praying in ways for the gospel to change everything in your life so that you are becoming more like Jesus. And when you do that, and you're saying, okay, God, change me, now you're praying something that you also have a part in, a much bigger part, and that prayer becomes much more powerful and effective. And other people see you change. And then they start to consider that, why that is. And then oftentimes they will begin to change too. Consider it even with your parenting, right? As parents, you all have, we all have great responsibility to raise children 
And we take that responsibility seriously. I know you guys all take that seriously. And you focus on things that you can do with kids when they're young and what you can help shape and how you can help mold behaviors, how you can help change them, right? And it's good. I mean, you want to correctly instill in them good morals, good values. That's admirable. It's a noble thing. You should absolutely do that. But when your child stubbornly refuses to obey and is disobedient and you get frustrated... Do you get frustrated because they're not obeying you? And you get angry with that? And you're like, stop it, I told you you got to do this. Why would you do that? You have to do this because I said so. In that moment, my question to you is, are you still upholding and modeling those same values you're trying to teach your kids? Or are you subverting them and now modeling different values of anger and selfishness and it's about me and how you're bringing shame on me? How often do my prayers for kids, for children, focus on asking God to help my child not be stubborn or angry without me asking God to help me not be stubborn or angry or whatever the other sin du jour is? Until you do that, until you become convinced that you cannot change your child's heart, you will not pray effectively. Because you will rely on things you can control. Don't touch the hot oven. Finally, after a while, with some behavioral control, you got them to stop touching the oven. And that's a good thing. It's a valuable thing. Please do that. It's not enough. You need their heart to change, and you can't do that. You've got to ask God to do that. And as your kids get older, you will realize that more and more. So I'm telling you right now, little kids, little challenges. Big kids, big challenges. Little kids, for me, prayed less. I mean, I prayed with them at bedtime. Big kids pray a whole lot more for my kids. A lot of things I can't control. We need to be people praying. Realizing our lack of control is important in that, so we surrender completely. And it's vitally important to remember our place and God's place, as I've said. That's that's super important. There are some things that we cannot change, and, and sometimes we don't get what we think is good in life what's good for us. Sometimes, in fact, the truth is bad things happen to us, right? I mean, that's, that's a fact. In a sinful world, there are bad things that happen, and you can be like, well, God, why didn't you stop that? And and I don't know all the reasons for that, and I'm not going to try to address all those right now. But I can tell you this, when bad things happen in a sinful world, it does not mean that God does not care. And we know that because of Christmas. (laughs) Because God said, I'm coming into your sinful world, your broken world, and I'm coming to make it new and to make it whole again. And I promise that I will restore paradise one day in which there will be no more despairing, no more sorrow, no more disease. That will be gone. And I will make it all new again. So while you and I must surrender completely we also have to do another thing. And this is the second part of the sermon, so you can put up the second point. We also need to begin asking boldly because asking boldly is the remedy to us not asking at all, right? We can get so crushed and so worn down by, okay, God, it's your kingdom, it's your will, whatever. It's not helping me. I just give up. That's not what we're supposed to do. And that's not what Jesus wants us to do when he teaches this prayer. 
He taught them to pray focusing first on God's glory and his kingdom, recognizing we're in a spiritual battle, needing forgiveness, resisting temptation. But then he encourages them to keep praying. He says you must be praying persistently. We notice this in verse 8, right? The friend that gets disturbed in the middle of the night, Jesus tells this story, and then he says, okay, the friend comes to the house, and what does he tell him? Notice what verse 8 says. Will you put that on the screen? Notice this wonderful, beautiful phrase right here. Shameless audacity. He's saying, look, your friend comes and you're like, eh, whatever, I'm not helping you. It's the middle of the night. It's not because he's your, Jesus is saying in this case, it's not simply because he's your friend. It's because of your shameless audacity begging that he finally gets up and says, okay, I'll give you what you need. Jesus is saying there is something to the value of being shamelessly audacious, I guess is how you would say that to going persistently after God, asking him for help. And it says he will give you what you need, not what you want, not your desires list, what you need, what's good for you. And if you doubt that's what Jesus is saying, notice what he says in verse 9. Go to that one and put that up. And so Jesus says right after that, ask and it'll be given, seek and you'll find, knock and the door will be opened. He's saying, look, pursue, pursue, pursue. Sometimes we throw up a prayer like, there goes my prayer, and I hope God heard that one. Went hunting this weekend, and um, one of my sons was sleeping what I thought was too late because we needed to leave pretty soon, like in 13 minutes. And um, so I texted him, hey, hunting. Get nothing. So two minutes later, I'm like, I better go upstairs. So I go upstairs. Door's locked, so I'm rattling the door, knocking on it softly, trying not to wake up everybody else in the house. Nothing. So I rattled some more, and I'm shaking it more, texting him again. Finally, I hear movement in there, tripping around. The lights come on. I'm like, okay, good. We're good to go. But I, I had to be persistent. It wasn't just a, I, I guess I'll throw this prayer up there. I had to go, and I had to knock persistently. What Jesus is saying is like, look, go. Keep going. Don't give up. Keep going. God will use your prayers and maybe shape your prayers to change you, maybe change your prayers in the way you're praying. But don't give up pursuing him. Why does he say that? This is important because prayer, if it's, a, if, if it's just a one-time thing where you're going, okay, God, help me with this. What you think you're doing there is informing of God, informing God about something he doesn't know. You think prayer is information. God, in, in case you didn't realize it, I need this. God already knows all that. Prayer is not primarily about information. It's about communication. And communication is a repeated thing over and over again. And Jesus is saying that with the Father, prayer is about communication, which you go back and forth over and over again, persistently. Keep it up. Don't stop talking to him. Pursue, ask, seek, knock. And that builds dependence on God and trust in him. Charles Spurgeon was a great Baptist preacher in London like 100 years ago or more, and a long time ago. But he said this, he said, I never pray more than five minutes at a time, but I never go more than five minutes without praying. Right, It's it's this conversation that's ongoing. Let's go to the next point there. This is the final point. You need to not only pray persistently, but pray confidently. In verse 2, which we're not going to go back to, he teaches in the prayer and he says, pray, our Father. That word Abba, in the Jewish language, Daddy, Papa, 
shows close personal relationship to God, yet not without respect. And then Jesus, at the end of his teaching, and what we read in Luke 11, verses 11 to 13, you can put those on the screen. His point there is that if you go to a friend and ask for help, are they going to like trick you and give you a, a snake or a fish and, or a scorpion instead? No, they're not going to do that. In verse 13, he says, if, you, if then, though you are evil, meaning you might do things like that, God doesn't do that. He's going to give you good things, including the Holy Spirit to those who ask. Your greatest need is to know that your Father wants to help you and will send the Holy Spirit to help you in your time of need. You need the Holy Spirit to be indwelling you, living inside of you, guiding you in life to make good choices, choices that are biblical choices, doing the next right thing that the Bible says to do. And when you and I fail to pray, I think what we end up doing, or why we end up doing it, at least for me, I'll speak for me, not you, When I end up failing to pray, it's not a failure of discipline. I can put it on my calendar. I can say, do it. I can read it and say, I know I got to do it. It's a failure of affection. It's a failure of me believing God wants me to talk to him, that he wants to hear from me. Failure of me to believe that God cares and that through my prayers, he's actually going to use those to work. Like, God, just do it without my prayers. You don't need my prayers. Now, through my prayers, he's going to choose to work. By the way, uh, every Sunday morning, I think it is Sally Tan prays uh, at 30 minutes before the service back in the youth room area. If you want to join her, you can do that because God works through prayers. If, if we have tools to pray, to remind us to pray, I'm not, I'm not boohooing those things. I'm not, I'm not shaming those. Those are good things. I need those things. Those things have helped me. What I don't want you to miss, though, is that's not how a child communicates to the father, right? How many of you, I'll even do a show of hands if you want to do this. How many of you, and some of you probably do because everybody's a little different. How many of you have kids who make a list for the day to say, this is what I'm going to ask daddy for and ask mommy for for the day. And they have it on their calendar every day or on their bedside, a card or a note or a crown coloring book. Anybody have that? I didn't think so. I mean, even the most organized OCD person probably doesn't have that yet as a kid. Because kids, the way they communicate, are like this. Pulling on pant legs, Daddy! Daddy, I need you! Daddy, can I have that candy bar, Daddy, please? Please? Two more steps forward in the line. Can I have that candy bar, please? Please? They're persistent. They're unrelenting. They're begging. They don't stop asking. And what Jesus is saying to you and to me is pray like that child. Because your father loves to hear you pray. Loves to hear you ask of what your needs are. He delights in it. Be persistent and go confidently because God wants to hear your prayers. And it also means this. He's not grading you on the form. Yet Jesus gives a little form here of praying and slightly different than in Matthew's version of the Lord's Prayer, which tells us something. It's not the form. It's not like, oh, shoot, I said the wrong thing at the wrong time. God's not going to hear me. No! Jesus even changed that a little. God's not grading you on the form. He just wants you to come to him and pray, to talk to him. And if we're depending on God, we're going to talk to him a lot about things big and small, right? And that's what he's saying. When you are overwhelmed in life, one of the primary things you have to be overcoming 
is prayer, the conversation with God, talking to him, asking him to remind you of what his word says, to lead you, to guide you. I'll give you a few key takeaways here. We can put those on the screen. Here's some takeaways. If you want something to try to remember, remember these. I need to remember, these might be kind of small, but need to remember that I'm in a spiritual battle and I need to call for help. It is a spiritual battle. Don't forget that. When I pray for someone else to change, which you can do, that's not a wrong thing to do. I don't want you to misunderstand what I said earlier. When you pray for someone else to change, though, also pray for God to change you. God, change me too. Third, since prayer is about communication, not just information, I'll talk to God every day. Fourth, my Father in heaven is interested in hearing my prayers, not grading my eloquence. Don't worry about the right word or the right form or just talk to him. Daddy, daddy. Go to him. Surrendering completely is the remedy to asking selfishly. And asking boldly is the remedy to not asking at all. And while there are times in which your prayers do not seem to be answered, and in which God may have you endure very hard things like disaster and disease and and death and all kinds of things that this world brings to us. It's important to remember that he cares and that we know he cares and that he does answer prayers. It's important to remember when he's answered prayers. It might be a good idea for you to write a journal of your prayers and put a date when God answered that prayer. I remember it was the summer June in Colorado in the 1990s, I think 91 or so. And we were at a youth leadership conference and a family camp. And um, we'd gone hiking. Some people had gone hiking that day, others horseback riding. And the camp was at 9,000 feet elevation. The the mountain there is 13,700 feet. And so people went out to um, to hike the mountain and summit it. So a lot of people went to Summit and made it back. We knew uh, later in that afternoon as people were coming back and some were struggling to get back, it was tough because a storm had moved in in June and started raining and got foggy and sleet and turned to snow. And so people that had gone unprepared were coming back with hypothermia. Um, and there was two men that didn't come back. And um, they were on the mountain. And so we felt helpless. There was people searching but it was darkness was getting ready to set, um, especially because of the storm. And so we gathered together and we prayed. With great persistence and great boldness, we prayed that God would protect these two men. Both were fathers of kids in the youth group that I was with there. Their names are Brian and Larry. Um, and uh, they were lost and they knew it. And so they thought the only way we're getting out of here since we can't see anything and we've lost the trail, is to go back to the top of the mountain and find the trail. So they turned and they hiked back up the mountain to summit it a second time. The cloud bank had grown thick, the snow was falling, and they talked and made a decision like, if we haven't found the trail by 6 p.m., then we're going to have to do our best to make shelter for the night where we can and wait out the storm until morning. And so they kept searching for the trail and they kept thinking that it was just going on forever and that time kept lingering. Um, and they finally 
ran into a trail, not the trail that they were on, but it was an old trail, an old Forest Service trail that was deeply rutted that had been closed because it was so deeply rutted. And in this case, it was a gift to them because it was a clear sign of where an old trail once was. And they got on that trail and they followed that trail down the mountain through the darkness. Uh, Otherwise, they would not have made it. And they strolled into camp well after dark that night. And Brian glanced at his watch to see what time it was and he noticed that his watch had stopped. It's an old watch that you wound and it had stopped at 5.30. And then he realized, that's why time was going so slowly. And it was weird because his watch had never stopped before and as they're coming into camp, people were saying, oh, thank the Lord, we're so glad to see you. One laughingly uh, exclaimed, Jan even prayed that time would stand still. And Brian said, about what time did you pray that? She said it was about 5.30. He showed her his watch. And he said, it's never stopped before. And he started shaking it violently. And the second hand started ticking again. And it provided them enough time to find the trail to get down the mountain that night. Brian kept that watch for years later. It finally did die and stopped. He put in an envelope and mailed it to Jan and said, thank you for your prayers. Prayers are a conversation with God. He loves listening. He loves listening. Surrender completely and ask boldly. Let's pray. Jesus, as we come to pray, we know that you tell us to pray, that you even mediate for us as we pray. And that the Holy Spirit intercedes for us as well. And that your Father, the Father loves to hear us pray. So, Lord, would you, would you shape us and conform us into the people you want us to be? Help us to be people who pray, who talk to you, who are in conversation with you. Use it to shape our lives, changing us. Use it to shape lives of others. Help us to be people who don't just rely on our own strength, but know that we need you. Yes, this is our prayer, Jesus. Amen.